0: So last week, uh, Dan T- Hamill talked about unity, and it was right on with where we are, because what was on my heart after we met two weeks ago was, I think we need to look a little closer about what this looks like in our lives, uh, and how do we, how do we walk uh, in the way of the cross uh, together, and, and a big part of that is the way that we relate to one another, and the way that we make every effort to be unified with each other. It means having honest conversations with each other. It means being vulnerable with each other. It means being uh, willing to forgive each other and, and do what it takes, do, the, do the, the necessary work to achieve unity. And that work is very often cross-shaped in our lives. It, it costs us something. It, it requires us to die to ourselves in a particular way. And so tonight... I want to talk more about what it means to live a cross-shaped life, or, or why, why is that even a thing? Why do we, why do we say, let's, uh, let's pick up our cross, and what does it mean to walk in the way of the cross? And the reason is very simple. Jesus said in no uncertain terms, whoever would come after me, whoever would be my disciples, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. All right, so Jesus said that, Jesus said that early in his ministry. All right, they didn't have a, he wasn't talking about the work that he was going to accomplish on the cross. He was talking about a way of life, and he was inviting them into a way of life. They didn't really understand what the cross meant yet, and still he used that, that very language to his disciples. If you're going to come after me, you have to take up your cross. Okay, so the the path of a disciple in following Jesus is cross-shaped. And Jesus said that even before he had gone to the cross. Um, And so what I want to talk about tonight is all the ways that the New Testament spells out for us, not all the ways. (laughs) I want to look at some some key portions of Scripture in the New Testament about how it spells out what a cross-shaped life is. And, and why it's such an important part of being a disciple of Jesus. Why it really is the essence, the essence of being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, and, the, and one of the reasons behind this is that many times we think of the cross. And what we're thinking about is the atoning work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And that's a key part of thinking about the cross. But it, it's actually much broader than that. And much more foundational than that. Than even that. So many times the preaching of the cross boils down to the work Jesus did in bringing us back into relationship with the Father. I don't want to downplay that. But the message of the cross is so important and so fundamental to the New Testament and and to the the gospel of the early church that we have to spend some time looking at at what does it really mean? What does Scripture say about it? Um, So I just kind of want to look through... Uh, the Gospels, and then in Acts, and then in, in Paul, and look at the cross, look at, look at, it, it's, it's so foundational, and I want to kind of expand our view of what that means when we say the word of the cross, all right, so we're going to kind of fill out what that is, what is the word of the cross, what is Jesus saying when he says, come after me and take up your cross and follow me, um, so I, I want to pray one more time before we get into the word, and, and I am going to read a lot of scripture uh, as we go. And you don't have to, you can just jot down the references and you don't have to flip there if you don't want. I've, I've, I'm just going to read through, I've got a lot of it just in my notes. Um, but I want the New Testament to kind of paint a picture for us of what it means to walk in the way of the cross. So let's pray. Lord, uh, come and anoint your word, come and open our hearts. Lord, till up any hardness. Lord, get out any rocks, weed out any thorns that are in us that would prevent us from really drinking deep of your word. And Holy Spirit, come and preach the cross to us, to each of our hearts, uh, through this scripture that we're reading tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the message that Jesus preached when he began to preach was what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And that was the one that his followers responded to. And that was, the, that was the message that his disciples were really entrusted with. He said, go and preach the gospel. Go and proclaim the kingdom. And his entire ministry, we're talking about the gospels right now, his entire ministry, you can read through, it was characterized by display after display of the way that the kingdom of heaven was, was breaking into the world, and there are uh, he he comes and he heals disease. Right, this is the the kingdom life breaking into the the dark and disease ridden world. Um, he's driving out evil spirits. As you read through the gospels, there's healing stories, there's there's exorcism stories, um, and he's even he even addresses and commands creation itself. Right, he walks on water. He uh, rebukes the wind and the waves and tells them to stop. All right, so Jesus comes and, and he is preaching it. At the kingdom, <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. But the gospels, each of them, all four of them, not just even the synoptic gospels, all four of them culminate in the story of his crucifixion. That is the, that is the end that they all point to. So while Jesus came... To proclaim the kingdom and to display the glory of the kingdom, he was ultimately coming to show people who God was by uh, by being lifted up on a cross. And the whole time during his whole ministry, he's doing all these things, and people are you know people are they they're looking at him in, in utter amazement. What? Are, who is this man? But the whole time, he has his heart set on, I am going to the cross. He knew where he was headed. And the ultimate act and display of the kingdom was to be Jesus on the cross. Um, His enthronement as king, as king of the Jews, happened in the most shameful and backward and infuriating and shocking way possible. Okay, so Jesus came to establish the kingdom. That's really what the gospels are about, the good news of the kingdom. But the way that he ultimately went about establishing it and and ascending to the throne was by getting up on the cross, all right? Um, And by the way, just think about all the different power struggles and the way that that the throne was grappled with just in the Old Testament, the portion that we've just been in, right? There's all sorts of backstabbing, power plays, manipulating And Jesus came, and he says, I'm going to establish the kingdom, and here's how I'm going to do it. And he does none of those things (laughs) that the the evil kings, or even that a lot of the good kings did in the Old Testament. It was shameful what happened to Jesus, and it was shocking what happened to Jesus. While it was going on, uh, his disciples did not think, oh, look what he's doing. He's becoming an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's not what was happening at all. They were saying, Oh, no. This this has all gone very wrong. And they all fled. Peter denied him. Okay? So they didn't embrace... They did not understand. Their minds could not grasp the establishment of the kingdom in the way that Jesus ultimately wanted them to see the establishment of the kingdom. Okay? Okay? So just listen to some of this from Matthew. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Now this is what Jesus was moving toward the whole time. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. A little later it says, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. also reviled him in the same way. So what's, what are the Gospels telling us about the cross here? It is shameful. It is, it's shocking. And, and I think, you know, all of the Gospels tell the story of this crucifixion in this way. And they underscore the shame and the mocking and the degradation that happened as Jesus was led away to be crucified. His closest followers were shocked. They deserted him. As I mentioned, Peter denied him. He went away and and vehemently denied that he even knew Jesus. I cannot be associated with what's happening here. This is utter failure. This is humiliating. I don't even want to be associated with this. And he had even been telling them exactly what was going to happen. The whole time. He'd been warning them over and over and over. Hey, here's what's going to happen to me. Here's what's going to happen to me. Here's what's going to happen to me. And they still, when it began to happen, could not believe their eyes and fled. He tells them in in the Synoptic Gospel, he tells them three times. Hey, it says uh, in Matthew 16, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him when he told him this. No, no. And Jesus, that's when he says, get behind me, Satan. Later on in Matthew, it says, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. What's he talking about? What? Is this another parable? What does it mean? You know, Matthew 20, verse 17, As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. guys, this is what's going to happen. This is what it means to establish the kingdom of God. So in other words, Jesus was preaching the kingdom. He came to preach the kingdom and demonstrate the life of the kingdom. But the culminating act by which his power was established and and confirmed was as he died on the cross and as he gave himself over to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. So this should show us that, yes, the kingdom is a way of life. It's a glorious way of life that that we are invited into, that the gospel proclaims, hey, enter the kingdom. Turn from your way of life and enter the kingdom. But the way of life of the kingdom is ultimately marked by the way of the cross. And this is the message all the way through the gospels. All right, and we'll come back to those. So then Jesus died, and he was raised, and was... and we'll talk about the resurrection some last, uh, next week. But he died and then he was raised. And another thing all along is he had been telling his followers, I'm going to die. And guess what? You're going to be treated the same way. Okay? So Jesus was not interested primarily in telling his disciples, listen, I'm going to die a substitutionary death. I'm going to take your place on the cross. Jesus doesn't really say that at all to his disciples. He says, here's the way, now walk in it. This is the way that the kingdom works here. And it's going to happen to you too. Okay, this is why the, the resurrection is so crucial in the life of a, of a Christian. And again, we'll talk about that next week. But he, he was constantly telling his followers, this is what's going to happen to me. And he was also constantly telling them that it's also going to happen to you. And we get to the book of Acts. Lo and behold, it begins to happen to them. <laughs> the first eight chapters of Acts detail the birth of the church. It's great. The falling of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. But as you, as you read through, you see this, this picture of just increasing and increasing suffering and persecution. And then it, it culminates in Acts 8. Eight, yeah, in, in Stephen's stoning. This is what happened to the church. This is what happened on the other side of the resurrection. Jesus said, all right, you go, you be clothed with power from on high, then you're going to be my witnesses. Guess what the Greek word for witness is? Martyr. Acts 4, it says, when they were released, they had been drugged before the chief priests and scribes, just like Jesus. They had been interrogated. They had been reviled. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and then he quotes Psalm 2, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth They said, Lord, we see, God, we see that this was your plan to deliver your son over to the the hands of sinful men. And they did it. And it's happening to us, too. So, Lord, give us the same boldness that Jesus had. Acts 5, it says, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. Again, this is the religious uh, leadership. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So the early church was preaching the gospel of the kingdom and were being beat for it. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They weren't rejoicing that their sins had been forgiven by the blood of Jesus on the cross and now we don't have to worry about that anymore. I'm sure that was part of their worship. But their worship was... Jesus, the one who took the cross, the one who carried his cross, We have we, we, it has become clear now what is our cross, and we are carrying our cross. Lord, come be with us and give us strength as we carry our cross. Thank you for counting us worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Acts 7, this is it when Stephen's preaching. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. He's preaching the kingdom. He's preaching the gospel. And they are enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. But here's what's happening. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So this, the picture of the early church in Acts is one of increasing opposition, cross-shaped ministry, where the gospel is proclaimed and people cannot stand what they're hearing and they get angry and they, they want to kill and then they end up, they kill. And then the story shifts. And it says, and Saul saw this. Saul saw this. Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And the persecution is so great, some, some of the leaders of the church are killed, some other leaders are killed as well, and they scatter from Jerusalem. Okay, so in the book of Acts, we have not come... And, and left the cross, of, and the shame of the cross, and the, the scandal of the cross, and the humiliation of the cross, we have not left that behind. In fact, the very same things are happening to the church of God that he has anointed with his power and sent out to be his witnesses. What's happening? Huh? People can't stand what they're hearing, and they want to kill. Jesus said, whoever would come after me must take up his cross and follow me. Saul, thankfully, and I have to believe that that some of the things he witnessed played into how radical his conversion was. Because he, I'm sure when Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus, the thought of Stephen being stoned for the preaching of the gospel, had to, in those three days when he was blind and he couldn't see, I'm sure Stephen's face was just haunting him during those times. What in the world? What have I done? And it has to be Stephen's face and and Jesus' heart weeping over Stephen and standing in honor of Stephen that gripped Saul to to the point where he says, I was the chief of sinners. You won't believe some of the things I did. I ordered the execution of Stephen, a man that Jesus stood in honor of at his death. So it makes sense then that some of the greatest passages on the cross come from Paul. So we've gone from the Gospels and we see that the story of the cross and how, how Jesus understood the cross and how he embraced the cross and, and the crucifixion stories are all about the shame and the, and, the, and the mockery and the suffering. And we see how the early church lived that out. In the early days of the, of the church. And then we see Paul. And his ministry is 100% cross shaped. As he went out, he went from town to town and he was, I mean, he lists some of the things that happened to him. And he, he, he preaches and, and includes so much great information about the cross in his letters. It's hard to, it's hard to pick out which ones to share. I'm just going to read a few of them. And I'm not going to read, like, the classic Paul verses on the cross, because we all know that, like, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. The life I live in the flesh is no longer me, but it's, it's Christ in me, and it's who loved me, and he gave himself for me. Or uh, in Philippians 3, where it talks about that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. Right. Um, here's some other passages. Second uh, Corinthians 4, verse 8. also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 30. Why, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. Galatians six thirteen. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Colossians 1.24 Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. One more, Colossians 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross." And listen to this, what he did on the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So This is one of the things we need to understand. The cross is shameful. But the, abra- the embracing of that shame is actually putting to shame the people who are causing the shame. In in being mocked, in submitting and and allowing himself to be crowned with a crown of thorns. Hebrews says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He was mocking the shame in submitting to it, he was putting them to open shame. As he, as he took up his cross. So let me, let me bring some of this into focus. What do we take away from this? We've seen that pretty clearly. When you, when you look at the cross. The word of the cross in, in scripture. Yes it does have to do with the work. That Christ accomplished for us our, on our behalf. But much more I would say. It has to do with the kind of life that we live as we become disciples of Jesus. And I would say that that is actually a key indicator of maturity as a disciple. Becoming a mature disciple means moving from a focus on what the, what the cross has accomplished for us. Not, not diminishing that, but moving beyond that toward an embrace of our own cross. That's That's a key marker of maturity. It's a key marker of discipleship. I'm no longer concerned with how can I escape the penalty that I deserve. I'm concerned with living the kind of life that Jesus, the one who helped me and saved me from that penalty, living the kind of life that he lives. So the entry into that kind of life is what we usually focus all of our attention on it when it comes to the cross. We need to move beyond the work of the cross and grow into embracing the way of the cross. And what we begin to realize is this, that that Jesus embraced the cross because it was the Father's will. Jesus embraced the cross because it was the Father's will. So Jesus embraced the cross really not because of what he would get out of it or because it would make him seem like a, a good, godly man. He embraced the cross for what the Father would get out of. It. And because it was the will of the Father. Let me unpack this a little bit. John 3.16 John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Or you could say, for God loved the world in this way, that he gave his son. God loved the world in this way, that he gave his son. This is how the sons of God live. They live to be given in love by the Father to those whom he loves. the sons of god live to be given by the father in love to those that the father loves and that is costly because those whom the father loves don't understand him they despise him they don't they don't they don't want his love and it's precisely coming to grips with that shame that the Father can then triumph over those who have rebelled, those who don't want His love. He can triumph over that by the shame of the cross. Okay? Now, I hope this is coming into clearer focus. The world has been deceived. The world does not understand who God is. The world has all sorts of misconceptions The world fundamentally does not believe that God loves them. And that God is worthy of their life. And in wrestling with that, God said, I'm going to have to send my son. I'm going to have to let them do their worst to my son. Because only then will they understand who I am. This is how God loves the world. And this is how God sends us into the world. We are being given away as expressions of God's love to people who will not understand that love fully until they come face to face with the true Son of God. And what is a true Son of God? One who takes up their cross, one who has embraced the cross and laid down their life. One who receives the worst that you can do to me and I still lay down my life. One who accepts a crown of thorns in mockery. Matthew 27, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake at the crucifixion and saw what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. You cannot look at Jesus on the cross and honestly continue to turn away from God. And this is what God understands. If you really do see what's happening, you will be undone. But that's what it takes. That's the cost. It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Revelation 12 says this, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the work of the cross, by the word of the testimony, by my personal appropriation of the work of the cross. But then the crucial final piece, and they love not their lives unto death. The blood has been shed. I have been cleansed by the blood. And now I live that very same life poured out. For the world. Your life, willingly laid down in obedience to the will of the Father, in demonstrating His love for someone, this is the way of the cross. That's how we take up our cross and follow Him. It's not not a a course of, of spiritual achievement, it's not asceticism. It's not stoic discipline. It's not. Um, it's not weak uh, passivism. All right, it is a, an active embrace, an active submission to whatever would come, as the father shows his love for someone. That's how we take up our cross. I've got to say a couple of things, uh, a couple of misconceptions. The cross, first of all, is, is not ever to be seen as a catch-all for the various difficulties of life that we run into. All right? That's my cross to bear. That's my cross. Um, the reasons behind those are many, all right? It, there, there is difficulty in life, All right? And a lot of times we lump it all together under the cross, so oh, it's just the cross. Um, but there's there's many many reasons behind difficulties that we run into. Everything from uh, the discipline of God, that's, that's a different thing than the cross. Uh, natural consequences, right? Well, you reap what you sow. Okay, and if you reap something, or if you sow something bad, and then you reap something bad, that thing that bad that you reaped isn't the cross. Um, demonic oppression and attack. It's not the cross. It's it's real. It's difficult. Uh, it exists, but it's not the cross. And each of any 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 reason for difficulties in our lives can be used by God to train us up into maturity. But they are not the cross because the cross is fundamentally something chosen and embraced. It's volitional. Okay. So if, if you had no control over it, it's not the cross. Because that, that doesn't make sense. The cross is where your will embraces the will of God at whatever cost to yourself. Okay, so your will has to be involved. If a natural disaster isn't the cross in your life. All right? And another thing is this. Everybody takes up their own cross. And it's not the same for any two people. The Father wants to love the people in your life through you. He wants to give you a way to people in particular ways, to particular people. And that manifests itself in a different cross for every person, or different kinds of crosses for each person. The cost to me is something different than the cost to my wife. The cost to you is something different than the cost to your roommate. So everyone takes up their own cross, And it's determined by whatever the Father would have them do. And whoever the Father would have them love. All right. A couple more things. John 12. This is right after Jesus says, uh, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit cross is really the only way that we can bear fruit in the kingdom and truly live a kingdom life. It can't happen in any other way. And Jesus says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? And many of our prayers echo that. Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come into the uh, for this purpose I have come to this hour. <laughs> when you are a son of God, when you are a daughter of God, those hours where those moments where it becomes apparent that God is asking you to lay down your life to die to yourself in a particular way so that someone could understand his love. Very often we find ourselves wanting to escape that hour. And we actually even pray to God, save me from this hour. But Jesus says, what am I going to pray? Save me from this hour. (laughs) For this purpose, I have come to this hour. Listen, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it, it again. In other words, yes, son, you have been obedient. You have submitted to more. You have come down and taken on flesh. That glorifies me. And now, as a man, I'm sending you to the cross, and that's going to glorify me. Because of the obedience that Jesus shows. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, The voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The whole time they were mocking him, Jesus was just watching them jump off the cliff to their demise. With every mocking word, with every shameful thing, every time they beat him, he was just, yeah, it's another nail in their own coffin. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He did this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Lifted up in glory? No, lifted up on the cross. That is glory in this twisted economy that we live in. There's lots of... of, you know, anecdotes that are helpful to understand the power of the cross. The power of a life lived like this. This is one that, uh, that caught my attention. Um, let's read this. Cardinal Jean-Marie Lustiger was an archbishop of Paris. So this a, he's a big deal in the Catholic Church. Uh, from 1980 to 2005. And he told the story of how three boys decided to try a, play a trick on a local priest by going into the confessional and confessing all kinds of wild imaginary sins. <laughs> the first two did it and then ran away laughing. But when the third one, who happened to be Jewish, had his fun, the priest said he was going to give him a penance to do. And he indicated, uh, or he, uh, he gestured to the large statue of the crucified Jesus that was in the east end of the church. And the priest said... Um, I want you to go look that figure in the face and say three times, he said this to the kid, say three times, you did all that for me and I don't give a damn. And so the boy trotted off and it was still part of the fun and he, and he said it once and then he said it again and then he found he couldn't say it the third time and he broke down and he left the church. Changed. And the way that the cardinal tells the story, he says, the reason I know that story uh, is because I was the young man. And I became a Christian against the wishes of my Jewish family. And he later, he later became a bishop uh, in the face of all sorts of opposition. And he, there was anti-Semitism and all sorts of, of attacks levied against him. And he was kind of outcast. Um, but that's the power of the cross. God has made it so, in order for us to reject Him, we can't just shake our fist at the sky. In order for us to reject Him, we have to go look a dying, bleeding Jesus in the face and say, You did all that for me, and I don't care. That's what what the Father has brought it to. And so that is the message that we carry. And that is the, that's the posture that we, that we assume when we go out to preach the gospel. Listen, I love you because the Father loves you. And you can do your worst to me. And I am not going, I'm still going to love you. And you're going to have to look me in the face. And say, you did all that for me and I don't care. That's, that is how we follow Jesus and take up our cross. It's not about us achieving. It's not about us being absolved of sin. It's so much beyond that. It's us being sons of the Father that He can, in the way that He loves the world, give us, send us, send us into the ground, send us onto the cross, so that people will have to come face to face with someone that really, truly loves them. And that's what it means to walk in the way of the cross. That's what Jesus is creating in each one of us. Amen? Amen. Um, So I thought it would be good to to end tonight with communion. Even though it's kind of dark and the kids have now fully immersed themselves in sand. Um, This is what we do. We proclaim our Lord's death until he comes. Scripture says when we take communion, we proclaim our Lord's death as often as we do it. And we remember him. And, and, and yes, we freely accept the benefit of, and, and we appropriate the work of the cross and thank him for his atoning work. But more than that, we want to take the life, the very broken body and poured out blood of Jesus into our life so that we, can t- we too can be broken body and poured out blood uh, for the world. God's still in in the business of sending his sons to die for a world that doesn't deserve it. And we are those sons. But that's a great fellowship. And uh, luckily, we live in the power of the resurrection. And living in that way is truly life and it's true glory. And we'll talk some about that next week. But we have to understand the purpose behind what is behind this way of the cross. And it's the Father's love for a dying world. And it's how he brings everything to a head and uh, cuts off every excuse, every lie about his intentions. There's Jesus. There's my political agenda hanging right there on the cross. And you're going to have to reject him if you're truly going to reject me. So let's let's partake of the body and blood of our Lord. And uh, we'll just go straight out of the box tonight. Um, I don't think we have any of the gluten-free ones tonight, so sorry about that. Um, Joseph moved today, and I forgot to get those things from him as well. But let's, uh, let's spend some time uh, in, in prayer and, and meditation. And um, This is a personal thing. You know, the cross is a personal thing. It's an individual thing. We've, we fellowship in the cross, but your cross is only yours. And it's between you and the Father. And it's in your obedience to the Father that you discover what your cross is that he wants you to carry. And it'll have to do with a particular person, a particular uh, group of people that he wants you to love. And he wants you to let them do their worst to you. So that, so that they can look someone in the face who truly loves them. And uh, so let's spend some time just individually communing with the Father... And uh, opening ourselves up and embracing uh, and accepting this life of the cross poured out for the world around us.